the term robotic can be misleading. Um, I, I know some patients may may hear that and think that there's a, a robot that's actually doing the surgery, and that's not at all true. Robotic surgery is a form of laparoscopic surgery. Instead of the surgeons directly manipulating the instruments as we do with the traditional laparoscop- uh, laparoscopic surgery, we actually attach the instruments to uh, the robot or the patient cart is the formal term of, of, the, of that part of the robot. And then we, this as the surgeon, sit down at the surgeon console where we have a three-dimensional view of the abdomen and we can control the laparoscopic instruments from the console. Robotic-assisted surgery is the latest advance in surgical technology. Dr. Laura Hanks joined us on the Women's HealthCast to tell us more about how robotic surgery works, what kinds of procedures in the OBGYN world can and can't be performed with this method, and how to weigh the risks and benefits when deciding whether robotic-assisted surgery is right for you. Dr. Hanks is an obstetrician-gynecologist in the UW Department of OBGYN. From the University of Wisconsin Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and you're listening to the Women's HealthCast. I'm really pleased to be joined by Dr. Laura Hanks today on the Women's HealthCast. Dr. Hanks is a newer faculty member in our Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and today we're going to talk about surgical modalities and a little bit of information on robotic surgery, which some of our listeners might be excited to learn more about. Thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So as I mentioned, you're a little newer to our department, and um, we've been here for a handful of months now. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about your practice, your area of expertise, and why people come to see you? Sure. So um, I'm actually coming back to Madison. I went to medical school here. I graduated in 2015, and I did my training in Rochester, New York. And then for the last three years, I've been um, working in private practice in Olympia, Washington. So super excited to be back in Madison and, um, you know, reconnecting with the department. Um, so I'm a generalist OBGYN, which means I do both obstetrics and gynecology. And just to kind of break that down, obstetrics is uh, kind of broadly just it involves delivering babies and taking care of patients while they're pregnant and then in the immediate, immediately after uh, in the postpartum period. Whereas gynecology is um, broadly caring for patients who are not pregnant. So this can include contraceptive care, annual visits, pelvic pain, abnormal periods, heavy bleeding, pap smears, colposcopies, which are procedures done when you have an abnormal pap smear, vulvar disorders, ovarian cysts, uterine fibroids, uh, gender incongruence, and and that's just to name a few. There's a a whole host of um, other things we do as gynecologists. I see people in my office at Union Corners on the east side. I do exams and can treat patients with office procedures or medications or with surgery. Um, So surgery is the reason that we are getting together today um, to learn a little bit more about some surgical modes. Um, I think a lot of our conversation will focus on robotic surgery, but we'll get to that in a minute. And before we do, I was wondering if you could describe some of the other common modes of surgery, I guess, both when we're talking about gynecologic surgery in particular, what are some of the procedures? Like, why do people have gynecologic surgery? And then what are some of the ways that it can happen? Yeah, so... For, uh, first of all, some of the surgeries that I perform as a generalist can include a bilateral salpingectomy where we remove the fallopian tubes for 
patients that wish to um, have surgical sterilization, um, a hysterectomy, which is where we remove the entire uterus, hysteroscopies, where we place a camera um, inside the uterus to evaluate for uh, pathology. There's also, we also treat ectopic pregnancies. We remove ovaries or ovarian cysts. We treat um, uterine fibroids. And again, this is just, just a few of the things that we can do that people may have heard of. Um, so the surgeries we perform as generalists can be done um, either vaginally, laparoscopically, also called, we, we sometimes use that interchangeably with minimally invasive surgery or open. So when you when we talk about vaginal surgery, it's performed entirely through the vagina. So the patients have no incisions on their abdomen. So some of those surgeries, uh, as I mentioned, the hysteroscopy or colposcopy, and we can actually do a whole an entire hysterectomy through the vagina, vagina sometimes, and um, which is pretty slick because uh, oh, you have no uh, patients wake up with no incisions that they can see, but there is you know the back of the vagina is sutured closed. Um, and then the other type that we talked about is laparoscopic or minimally invasive. And this is done where there's small incisions made in the abdomen. The abdomen is insufflated with gas so that we can uh, visualize the internal structures. And then we use laparoscopic instruments and a camera to visualize the pelvis and perform the surgery. And then kind of the last uh, category, <laughs> you could say, is open surgery, which means we have a larger incision made in the abdomen. Um, and the abdomen is, quote, open for the surgery to be performed. So this is how abdominal and pelvic surgery was performed many years ago before, you know, the more modern advances in, in laparoscopic and surgeries have and, and minimally invasive techniques have been, been developed. But that being said, we still do utilize open surgeries uh, when we're unable to safely perform minimally invasive procedures, which can happen if there's uh, lots of big fibroids, if there's large ovarian cysts, um, if there's excessive bleeding, it's an emergency and we just need to get in very quickly, or in the case of uh, malignancy, but that would be the malignancy or cancers are performed by the GYN oncologist and not generally by myself. So uh, the American uh, College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is uh, where we get our guidelines from. Uh, they they mention that for non-cancerous conditions such as hysterectomy, a minimally invasive approach for GYN surgery is has well-documented advantages, which include faster return to normal activities and decreased, decreased length of stay in the hospital and better quality of life compared to the open abdominal approach, which is why we try to do that whenever we can. Can you tell me a little bit more about um, robotic surgery, where it fits in this um, menu of options for surgical modalities that you've described and how it like compares or contrasts to some of the methods that you've already talked about? Yeah. So the term robotic can be misleading. Um, I, I know some patients may may hear that and think that there's a, a robot that's actually doing the surgery, and that's not at all true. Uh, we, the surgeons, are actually using instruments that are guided via a console that we are using that um, is is 
called quote a robot. So a robotic surgery is a form of laparoscopic surgery. So we make small incisions in the abdomen uh, where we place our laparoscopic instruments. However, instead of the surgeons directly manipulating the instruments as we do with the traditional uh, laparoscopic surgery, we actually attach the instruments to uh, the robot or the patient cart is the formal term of, of of that part of the robot. And then we this as the surgeon sit down at the surgeon console where we have a three-dimensional view of the abdomen and we can control the laparoscopic instruments from the console. So at the uh, University of Wisconsin, we use the uh, Da Vinci system. And just to clarify, I don't, you know, work for Da Vinci. I don't get, you know, I have no... Um, Conflict? Conflicts of interest. I have no conflicts of interest, but um, just just for full disclosure, the Da Vinci system is what we use at the University of Wisconsin. And um, what that system allows us to do is translate the surgeon's hand movements at the surgeon console in real time, and um, the instruments can bend and rotate while performing the procedure. The instruments are wristed uh, in order to move like a human hand, but with greater range of motion. And as I mentioned before, it also has this excellent three-dimensional high-definition view that we're looking into at the surgeon console, um, which magnifies everything so that we can uh, see see very small um, portions of the pelvis. So the, the field of robotic surgery has developed very quickly over the past couple of years. It was uh, approved to be used for gynecologic conditions in 2005 um, by the FDA and uh, has just continued to kind of explode um, in, in its use and um, in, our, in our particular uh, field. You mentioned that robotic surgery is a form of laparoscopic surgery, which means tiny instruments, tiny incisions. Um, do the tools in robotic surgery differ at all from what's used in traditional lapar- laparoscopy? Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> they they do, and that's that's where that term that I had mentioned before is the the instruments are wristed, and what that means is that the instruments can actually. Be, the, the instrument portion that is inside a patient abdomen can bend um, as opposed to the traditional laparoscopic instruments that we sometimes will call straight stick, uh, which m- means ex- exactly how it sounds. The, the instruments are straight sticks, so they, they are not able to bend um, and maneuver around different pathologies, such as the large fibroids. Um, So that is a huge advantage, um, as well as the fact that because they are docked to the robot, they uh, that removes any sort of uh, human tremor um, that might be that that we might see with a traditional straight stick laparoscopy. I feel like probably plenty of us have seen you know, primetime medical shows. So we've got lots of great examples and they've, you know, we see a surgery which has a, a surgeon standing right over a patient. How does it look? Where are you in the room or where's the surgeon in the room for a robotic assisted surgery? Sort of how do you see and navigate what's happening? I've, I've actually gotten to see the, one of the Da Vinci rooms at um, Meritor Hospital, and it was very different than I expected. Just this is so new for me. Yeah, it's it. T- I will say it does take up a lot of room. Um, 
So the the actual robotic system is is made up of three parts. Uh, there's the surgeon console that I've mentioned. There's the uh, patient console that is the part uh, that it goes right next to the patient where the laparoscopic instruments are attached to. And then there's the uh, vision, vision console, which is where the um, video is displayed kind of for the rest of the staff in the OR to be able to see what is happening. Um, so for, as the surgeon, what we do is at the beginning of the case, we are scrubbed in and make the incisions, place the instruments, place the camera, insufflate the abdomen. Um, and then we do what's called docking the robot. So attaching the robot to those laparoscopic instruments. Um, once that is done and we you know, verify that we can see appropriately, then what I do is I, I then do what we call scrubbing out. So I take off the uh, s- uh, sterile gloves and gown, and then I sit down at the console um, where I do the remainder of the operation. So uh, controlling the robot and the instruments from the console while watching in real time in that uh, three-dimensional view um, from there. So I am right next to the patient, uh, so if there is something that happens where I need to scrub back in quickly, that can happen. I can I can be back uh, scrubbed in next to the patient, you know, within seconds if needed. In your experience, what kinds of procedures can be done with a robotic assisted method, and are there times or um, procedures that wouldn't be eligible for robotic surgery? So in benign gynecology, so non-cancer, non-malignant cancers, uh, robotic surgery is best used for large fibroids, large bilateral ovarian cysts, patients who are obese or patients that have had multiple prior abdominal surgeries or severe endometriosis, which is a condition that can cause a lot of scarring in the pelvis um, and just make visualization a lot harder. I personally most often use the robot for hysterectomies of those large fibroid uteruses um, and when there is a lot of scarring. That's kind of where where I have found the most benefit. As far as procedures that I I wouldn't recommend using a robot for, um, you know, it's a fantastic device, as I mentioned, but but it's expensive (laughs) and it can take make the surgery take a little longer. I talked about the docking of the robot that takes time. And that whole time a patient is under anesthesia. So if we think that we can do a procedure in um, a faster time with straight stick and do it safely, then then that is the better option for the patient. So those situations would be like for your bilateral salpingectomies, for a small uterus without any fibroids or no concerns about scarring or abdominal adhesions. Um, those are better done with a straight stick laparoscopy or even, you know, vaginal hysterectomy if possible. Um, that's going to be better, safer and uh, better for the patient. Um, what are the benefits to patients who do opt into robotic surgery or are eligible for it? Um, are there differences in outcome or healing process or anything like that? So, 
you know, the American College of OBGYN or ACOG um, has a really nice document looking into this um, as as robotic surgery has become more popular. And they found that the advantages of the ro- robotic device are the improved visualization, dexterity, elimination of tremor, and improved ergonomics, meaning that the... Um, surgeon is able to sit and to adjust the surgeon console to um, fit them so that they can, you know, not have neck pain, shoulder pain, um, back discomfort that we sometimes, or more than sometimes experience with our (laughs) straight stick laparoscopy or our longer open procedures. Um, and studies when, that have compared robotic-assisted approach with uh, open approach show that for the patient, there is less blood loss, lower complication rates, and shorter hospital stays when they have the uh, robotic-assisted hysterectomy. Kind of on the flip side from the benefits, um, what are the risks of robotic surgery that people should know before going into it? Yeah, so something that we... Uh, talk and kind of debate amongst ourselves a lot is the the lack of haptic feedback and what that means is that when you use a straight stick laparoscopy again the the surgeon is physically holding the instrument so what they can essentially touch and and feel through the instrument um the anatomy that they're operating on whereas with the robot we're using a console. So when we touch things, you don't get any feedback from that, um, which can sometimes be tough at certain portions of the procedure. Again, with the, with the training that you get, that becomes less and less important. Um, personally, I personally think that's just, you know, some people will disagree with me on that one. Um, but, um, you know, and along those lines there, there, because this is kind of a newer, uh, technology, there really hasn't been a standardized training requirement for uh, robotic surgeons. We have to, um, you know, go through a lot of training in residency. We do um, hands-on training. We do uh, simulations. We do coursework. Uh, you have to pass some um you know, uh, online courses that they've made, but there's not really like a a set standard uh, training requirement. I'm sure that will be coming down the pipeline in the next couple of years as this um, continues to be talked about. Um, And then again, there's the kind of this, this discussion of cost, um, how, you know, cost, cost benefit of it. And um, in benign surgery, especially if the, if the cost of the robot is uh, outweighs um, that of doing it through a straight stick, um, which I would argue, you know, in these tougher, more complex cases, if it's going to be able to keep us from opening and doing a bigger procedure, which will be harder on the patient, I do think it is cost effective. But again, there, there really is kind of a paucity of, um, of data there that, that has looked into those things and, and people are, and, and we're looking. And so this, you know, conversation could be very different in one and five years from now, but that's kind of where we're at, at, at this time. How does someone find a surgeon who is skilled in robotic surgery? You mentioned there aren't specific training requirements yet, though they're likely very well will be. Um, so how do we kind of navigate as patients, um, 
finding a, a physician who's got lots of skills and experience in this area. Yeah, so uh, ACOG recommends that in order to do robotic surgery, you do have to go through uh, a didactic educational program that focuses in robotic surgery. So, for example, at my in my residency in University of Rochester in New York, we um, did many robotic surgeries um, under, you know, proctored by attendings. And we also did online training modules as well. Um, so it it is required to have this hands-on training um, to, that includes the, the docking, bedside assisting, sitting at the console. Um, it, is, it is very helpful, I think, to do uh, the um, simulation labs as well. Um, to to kind of enhance that experience, but um, really, for most people uh, that I talk to in in OBGYN, if you go through a residency program and you don't feel that your robotic training was um, enough, that you felt safe doing it, people will choose not to do robotic surgery. So, um, I think you know having that awareness and moving forward and. Um, you know, when I came here, there's a, there's a onboarding, as it were, um, where, you know, I operate with uh, a colleague and they, um, you know, see that I have been up on my skills and, um, you know, can can use the robot effectively. Um, you know, so there's lots of checkpoints along the way to make sure that they're the that we're experienced in using this kind of newer technology. Um, as far as finding a robotic surgeon, on at least on our website, we say if we if we do robotics or not. Um, and it, it specifically at the University of Wisconsin, I myself and Dr. Karnowski. Dr. Bills are the generalists that um, do robotics. And then Dr. Bhagavath is a fantastic surgeon who I actually uh, trained under in Rochester, and we both ended up here. <laughs> and he does lots of complicated robotic surgeries um, for uh, um, infertility and myomectomies and things like that. When you are working with patients and counseling patients, um, how do you help people walk through uh, figuring out what surgical method is right for them, whether robotic surgery is uh, the right option in their case. What are some of the tips or things to consider? So most often when I'm talking about robotic surgery, it's in the setting of doing a hysterectomy. So I'll kind of concentrate there. As I mentioned, there's a number of different um, surgeries you can utilize the robot for, but let's just kind of concentrate on hysterectomy for the, for this particular question. So when I'm counseling uh, my patients, when we've gotten to the point, we've exhausted all medical options, um, non-invasive approaches um, to, to whatever their, their issues, may that be abnormal bleeding or fibroids, um, Etc. I I always go through all four approaches of removing the uterus. The four being the um, vaginal, lapros- straight stick, laparoscopic, robotic, and open. Um, I then ex- explain each method as I did earlier, and and we discuss the pros and cons of each procedure, keeping in mind their their personal situation. I think it's important that we always individualize. I uh, discuss and I and I highlight this with them is that it's uh, an individual decision. There is no one size fits all. 
when we're talking about hysterectomies, um, it's important to take into account the person's uh, medical and surgical history, as well as the pathology that we're treating. Um, and so, uh, again, uh, ACOG has a, a nice uh, little section on their website that talks about how uh, robotic-assisted cases should be selected based on the likelihood of improved outcomes compared to other surgical approaches. So that could be due to complexity of the case or patient factors, which with appropriate consideration to costs. And as with any procedures, informed consent should, they say should, but needs to be obtained from patients before surgery with discussion of the surgeon's experience with the robotic-assisted surgery, indications for the surgery and potential risk and benefits associated with the robotic-assisted technique compared with alternative uh, surgical approaches and other therapeutic options. So it's kind of a nice summary of how to uh, decide if if a robotic approach is going to be the best choice for a particular patient. Dr. Hanks, I want to thank you again so much for spending this time with me and teaching me a little bit about robotic surgery. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on all major social media at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us in your podcast app and let us know what health issues you'd like to learn about at the link on our podcast page. Thanks for listening.